I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge from WNIJ. And if this is your first time hearing our show, well, I've got good news. It's a really simple idea. We've all had teachers in our lives who helped shape who we are or taught us something beyond the curriculum. And we want you to be a part of this show with us. Every educator we have on the podcast, whether it's a teacher, a coach, or a professor, is nominated by the folks who listen. So please do tell us about the educators who've inspired you and the folks in your community who deserve a spotlight, whether you had them years ago or yesterday. Email us with your nominations and your story ideas at teacherslounge at niu.edu. Again, that is teacherslounge at niu.edu. And some might not know that Teacher's Lounge is not only a podcast, but also an hour-long monthly radio show on WNIJ. And it airs on the last Friday of every month at 11 a.m., but no longer. We've got a small change, small, but it is a good change. So instead of airing on the last Friday of every month at 11 a.m., it's going to air at noon on that same day. So just an hour different, but it's also going to air the following day, that Saturday morning at 6 a.m. at WNIJ. So you'll have two chances to hear the Teacher's Lounge radio show that comes complete with brand new exclusive segments that you can't hear on the podcast. I highly encourage you to check that out if you haven't gotten the chance so far. And again, that is starting this month. So next Friday, July 28th, it'll be at noon on WNIJ instead of 11 a.m. Anyway, this week on Teacher's Lounge, we've got Lori Pillen. She just retired a few weeks ago after nearly 40 years as a counselor at Rochelle Township High School. And we talked about how she never knew what issue or question a student was going to walk into her office with and how that kept the job really fresh for decades. She also shared some advice for anyone of any age at a career crossroads. I think that whole idea of really taking stock of what's important to you, what you think you're good at, and then that idea of what you know you don't want to do. You don't want to have a job in whether it's working outside, working inside, but at the same time, knowing what it is that you're looking for a little bit, and not necessarily the title or the name of the job, that's not that important. What are those underlying things? We also talk about how she knew that this career of helping other people discover their career was the one for her, her love of coaching the speech team, and so much more. But before our conversation with Lori, I've got a few other education stories we want to share. Well, it is July, we are well into the summer now, and that also means summer camp season. And professors at Northern Illinois University recently hosted their sixth annual social justice summer camp, where dozens of teachers spend a week immersed in conversation and learning from experts on social justice education. And I got to put on my backpack and go to camp to learn more. The campers were up until 2 a.m. on the first night talking and telling stories. They're bunking in a residence hall at Northern Illinois University, so there probably weren't s'mores. But then again, there's also a lot that's different about this than a traditional summer camp. For one, the campers are adults. They're K-12 teachers representing various Illinois school districts. And the stories they're up all night telling are about social justice education. Most of us came into it because it was a calling. You know, we are passionate about children and making a difference in their lives. 
That's Zira Tahir, a kindergarten teacher at Harriet Gifford Elementary School in Elgin. Tahir's the child of an immigrant, and she says her group was up late talking about how they can learn from their unique perspectives and help students from every background. We're here with like-minded people who see that there are issues, you know, systemically, and, you know, we're trying to change it one bit at a time. Several teachers said this camp is the most important professional development they get all year. Joe Flynn is the executive director of Equity and Inclusion, as well as an associate professor of curriculum and instruction at NIU. And he helped start the social justice summer camp back in 2016. And Flynn says it feels even more urgent this year during a wave of anti-trans laws and education legislation restricting how teachers can talk about things like race and history. I know folks in Ohio and Texas who've literally had to sit with someone and change their title, redraft their position responsibilities, because now what they were doing is illegal. And Flynn says it's important to talk about what social justice even is. When we talk about social justice, it gets so politicized that it just gets reduced down to a bunch of sound bites and buzzwords, when in reality, they're having profound impact on the quality of learning for students. Amada Quadet Parker is the DeKalb School District's first ever Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and she hates to oversimplify, but she's got an even shorter definition for social justice. It's doing right for people. She says she loves the camp experience, and part of the reason why is because, in some ways, it never ends. She says organizers like Joe Flynn and NIU Professor James Cohen stay in contact with her. They have actually come into our schools many, many, many times and extended what we learned here and put in, helped us to put it into practice. This year's camp featured sessions about the disproportionate discipline of black students, a panel of students in the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA program, and much more. In the morning of the first full day of camp, NIU professor Michael Mandarino is conducting a group activity, walking through the history of education laws in America mm -hmm. and their legacy today. You have cards at your table. Let's look at our local context. And I think this is what, where it gets uncomfortable, because sometimes it's easy to look easier to look back and go, well, in 1957, Congress passed that. That doesn't have anything to do with me. But what are our, what's the legacy of policies in our districts? They talk about how, after the Supreme Court's 1954 decision in Brown versus the Board of Education, school districts demoted or fired around 100,000 black teachers and principals. And they discuss the lack of teachers of color in their buildings and their district's hiring policies. And a lot of times the policies that are being made are not by educators, by our board, right? right. Who are common folk that don't have any working knowledge about school. Many educators say they leave camp fired up to make change. The challenge is how to share those lessons about multicultural education and equity with their fellow teachers back home. Lisa Holbrook is a high school biology and chemistry teacher at the U46 district in Elgin. When we go back to my school, how do I engage with those people who have very, very different perceptions? Organizers say that Social Justice Summer Camp tries to help teachers start to have those uncomfortable conversations that might happen back home. NIE professor James Cohen says summer camp is like a roller coaster. It's exciting and it can be uncomfortable and challenging, but in a supportive community that's built for it. So when they do go back to their school this fall, they're prepared to make change. And a recent Northern Illinois high school graduate created and helped write a bill that just became state law. And I got to learn more about this student-led legislation and how it'll change high school health classes for years to come.
Darby Elo is working on a group project with her friends about severe allergies for her Peace and Conflict Studies class at Naperville Central High School. Several of Elo's friends in that group had severe allergies themselves, and some even carried epinephrine auto-injectors or EpiPens. In fact, her friend Ella decided it was time to teach her how to use it in case they had an allergic reaction. I remember thinking it would be so cool if I had already learned about this because I think it's such a common thing, but like, especially in a emergency situation, like I don't know how many high school students or really anybody would feel comfortable using an EpiPen. Allergies are very common. Over 50 million Americans suffer from either seasonal eczema or food allergies, nearly one in three adults, and more than three million people carry EpiPens. For the project, ELO's group researched how their school and schools across the country teach students about allergies and keep school buildings allergen safe. I found that Illinois didn't have any type of training for students or really had that kind of conversation. ELO says that high school health classes already show students how to do CPR and the Heimlich maneuver, so why not EpiPens too? And what if high school health classes talked about the dangers of allergies? When we talk about allergies, I think everybody kind of um, brushes past them. And I'm not going to lie, I used to be that same kind of person. But then I met a bunch of people who did have severe allergies. And I realized, I think, how important it was for them to have people in their life who knew about them and could help them if needed. She'd done the research already, and she wanted to follow up on the project during her senior year, maybe even craft a bill. Luckily, the teacher of her Peace and Conflict Studies class, Seth Brady, has empowered students to lead legislation before. One of his former students helped pass the state's media literacy law back in 2021. So, Elo reached out to her state senator, Janet Yang Rohr. I think that was definitely the most daunting aspect. Thankfully, Rohr's team loved the idea and agreed to meet, and it helped that Yang Rohr's chief of staff, Donna Wantke, is also a member of the Naperville District 203 school board. She basically walked me through the entire process where I was ended up calling different committees, um, different House members, just trying to get them to sign on to this bill, and I helped draft the original language. Senator Yang Rohr filed the bill back in February, and it advanced quickly through committee where Elo was called to testify. It was a little nerve-wracking, I'm not going to lie. It was my first time doing anything like that, but I saw some of the questions um, the other people were getting, and I think that's what made me a little bit nervous, but it ended up going very smoothly. And where a lot of legislation languishes in committee or stalls out over multiple sessions, that didn't happen with the allergy education bill. Just a few months after its first reading on the House floor, the bill passed both chambers en route to the governor's desk. And the lawmaking process had opened other doors for ELO already. She's now an intern for Senator Yang Rohr. The moment I found out it had passed both chambers, I actually got to be with Donna Wonky and the rest of the intern team. And it was just really exciting because everybody was so excited for me. Um, and then I texted my mom and it was just like a nice moment. The plan was signed into law on June 30th. So starting in the 2024-25 school year, all Illinois high school health classes will include instruction on allergies, recognizing symptoms and preventing exposure, as well as how to safely administer emergency epinephrine. Elo says the experience has taught her a lot. You shouldn't be afraid of asking for like small things. I honestly think that that's also really good advice for students who are trying something similar right now. And allergies are a really big thing for the people who suffer from them. And Elo's happy that her work will not only call attention to those issues across the state, but also empower other students to step up and help someone in an emergency. 
All right, now it's time for my conversation with now retired, which by the way, congratulations again on that, Lori, retired school counselor, Lori Pillen. You were either just about to retire or you just did retire from being a guidance counselor, correct? Um, the end of this year will be the end, correct. So how much longer do we have? Uh, about a week and a half. So how are you feeling? I mean, you are in the full like farewell tour, I have to imagine, since you've been <laughs> at the district for a, about 40 years or so now? Uh, 38, correct, correct. 38. And yeah, it's bittersweet, no question about it. Um, it's hard. It's hard to think of not being a part of the school. So, and I'm going to continue to be a part. So, it's it's kind of weird. Yeah, especially since as a guidance counselor, you know, part of your job is like helping set people up for the future. And now, for the first time, 38 years, now you have to think about what you're going to do the next <laughs> year too. Correct. Correct. Very much so. So, yeah, as they've graduated, I'm kind of adding myself to that list. That's really fun. My mom teaches, she's actually, uh, she teaches middle school art and music, and she is just retiring this year. And she's already officially done, but this whole year she's been telling me about how strange it feels to be on this farewell tour. We're just, not even at the end of the year, but all year you're kind of, it's in the back of your mind a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. And with education, it's a little bit different because you're used to being, to finishing up the year I don't think it'll feel real until August. And that's exactly what I was telling her too. Yeah, right. Like you're, you're used to the rhythm of the school year being done right. for the summer. But when in the fall you don't come back, that's going to be a exactly. weird one. Exactly. But yep. you're staying on. I, I think I saw that you got elected to the Rochelle School Board too. So you are like, you're retiring, but you're very much still a part of the school district. Correct. So do you get a little bit of uh, time off between, you know, retiring from being a guidance counselor to jumping into the school board or uh, we're just oh, taking not much, <laughs> not much. The, um, the first school board meeting that I'll go to is in June. I think as a matter of fact, it is June 20th. So literally I'll be done June 16th and then I'll go to the first school board meeting on June 20th. So you get a weekend away from everything. <laughs> <laughs> to be retired before you jump back Correct. into it. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. I've been. I think you mentioned thirty-eight years is how long you've been with the district and as a counselor, and then you coach speech for a long time as well. Correct. Long time. Correct. Long time. And but I was thinking about the the guidance counselor part of this, and that there's you know just even the word guidance is like a little bit broad, just kind of like whatever they need, right? <laughs> like, and it's, I know that you kind of wear multiple hats, right? Like you're helping out with academic related things, scheduling related things, but also people might come to you for personal things they want to talk about. And so that's, I have to imagine that had to be something that really kept things fresh and interesting over 38 years is oh, not, exactly. you know, and, people coming into there, you never know what exactly a student's going to bring into your office. Absolutely. When somebody walks in the door, you really, the way we have it, and, and different schools set up their counseling departments differently. Um, for some, you, one person is in charge of the college and career. One person is in charge of scheduling. What, you know, however you divide it up. And sometimes one person has freshmen, one person has sophomores, etc. cetera. Um, the way we've done it here at the high school is that, you have the same kids for four years and you deal with them on all issues. So you're absolutely right. When somebody comes through the door, 
you're not 100% sure why they're coming through the door. And that does make the days go fast. And it definitely has been a, a plus. There's no question about that. I've loved working with the kids freshman through senior year. Yes. Yeah, so there's a lot of growth. There's a lot of maturity. Uh, a lot of development happens within those four years. Yeah. And, you so, know, you probably get to... You know, depending on the student, you might meet with them once a semester, you might see them a couple times, but over the course, you know, even meeting someone 10 times as you see the growth from freshman to senior year, that has to be something that is always really, really cool to see. It is 100%. Um, yeah, that would be one of the things that I really have enjoyed the most. And you're right, for some kids, we I would see them once a semester. Other kids, you see them a lot more often than that. Um, but just knowing how people have developed and the choices they've made, the, the yeah, experiences that they've had. Um, and when you meet them as freshmen, wondering wh what direction are they going to go? And then seeing that kind of come to fruition um, and see what direction they do end up choosing to go or what options they have available to them. Really neat. It's probably really fun to be surprised in a good way with the direction <laughs> that someone wants to go or the things that they want to pursue. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's it's always good, as I've told many, many kids, the idea of our our purpose is to make sure that they have lots of options, that they have choices. So when they leave the safety of RTHS, they've got different options available to them and they don't feel cornered and they don't feel like they don't have any directions available to them. Um, and you're right. So when kids say, OK, I want to. I'm going to pursue this, or I want to take harder classes to get ready for this. It is fun, no question about it. I'm curious, like over the, you know, over the 38 years of so many classes of kids going through and hearing so many different stories and perspectives of students. If like, did the way that you saw your job as a guidance counselor did it kind of evolve over the years as you kind of you know learned more about what students need from you and what they're looking for? Definitely. No question. I mean, when I started, the world of education was different. The world itself was different. Um, no question about that. And so, for example, when I started, we didn't have computers. Yeah, that's a big this, one. Yeah, that, that's a big bit you know, of a change. So yeah. That was huge right there. But everything from how the world has transpired, social media, huge piece, technology overall, huge piece. Um, throw in a pandemic, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> yeah, so, right at the tail end for you. You know, lots of things there. But, and kids, and people will ask, have kids changed? I don't really think kids have changed. I think the world has changed. And we've all had to adapt because of those changes. Um, uh, but back when I started, counseling was probably not nearly, we didn't care. I shouldn't say we didn't care. We weren't focused nearly as much on social emotional health. We weren't focused nearly as much on anxiety, depression, outside influences. It was much more dealing with what was happening within the four school walls. Um, so over the course of time, our jobs, have, the job of any counselor, I think, in a school has definitely changed. And it's, it's simply become bigger. Um, it's become, in my opinion, much more important. Yeah, and probably much more challenging and like it's something that I talk with educators about all the time that there's a part of it that's it's kind of like parenting right where you've got such this responsibility that you might say something to a kid that might stick with them for the rest of their life right and there's like mm -hmm. there's great power in that but there's also great responsibility in that 
And it's fascinating for, for you too, especially because, you know, obviously any teacher you're talking to kids about what they're working on in their personal life and stuff, but like talking with them about like their future and what they want to do with their life, like that is... I think a responsibility that maybe people that like, you know, don't think a lot about counseling realize just like how heavy that is, you know? Mm -hmm. it, it is. It's a, it's a huge responsibility. I completely agree. And sometimes what you say and what is heard by someone else is not the same. Yeah. Sometimes your intent is not, doesn't travel well. Um, but, but just sitting back and realizing it's all about perspective. And it's not necessarily what you said that matters. It's what they heard and it's what they feel and how they feel about you as well as the relationship that you've engendered and the, the commitment that you've made to that child. Um, I, I, you're right. It is. It's a big deal. The other thing about counseling, the way we do it, once again, is yeah. we do we do meet individually with kids quite a bit. So when I get to meet with a student, they're not playing to the class. They don't have to, you know, act a certain way because their best friend or their peers or their boyfriend or girlfriend is sitting in the room. Um, it's one on one. And that's really neat as well. You actually kind of get to peel back some of those layers a little bit to see at least the person that they want, how they want to represent themselves. Um, and over the course of time, I think you actually get to go get to see the actual person. So that's very neat. Right. And that kind of touches on the social emotional things and. I would imagine that a lot of the, maybe more of the focus on social, emotional, and on mental health probably coincided with some of the changes around technology. The term social, emotional learning has been something that's been a, a huge issue in education for at least you know the last maybe 10 years or so. I wonder mm -hmm. how long you feel like that's something that is like, when that tide really started to turn, where that became much more of a focus, and maybe it was different for you than it would have been for a different school district. Right. I think every, once again, every school treats and uses their counseling department a little bit differently. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, but there's, and in my mind, there's absolutely no question that um, social media, the, the whole idea of cell phones, all of that has definitely definitely plays into social emotional health. Um, right. You know, it used to be if you were bullied at school, you got to go home, you got to close your door and you got away from it. And now I think the bullying is even worse many times through social media and therefore you can't get away from it. That idea of um, way back when you didn't know about things that were going on that you weren't invited to. So it didn't really hurt your feelings. Now that idea of all you have to do is look online and see what's going on and realizing you're not a part of that. And that whole idea of looking in to see what other people, you know, you always think what's going on is so much more exciting than what you have going on. Right. And for kids, I think it's even worse. Coping skills for a lot of kids are really hard. They're very difficult. And therefore, that whole idea of, you know, getting past something, a lot of times it takes a long time to get past something to work through it and to feel like you've come out stronger. I'm curious, are there any particular stories or students or moments from, you know, I don't know, 38 years or so of counseling <laughs> that that as you take time this year, hopefully, you know, you've got that weekend in between retirement and joining the school board. As you're like reflecting back on these, these decades as a counselor, what are the things that are sticking out to you now? There's simply too many. I yeah, know that's, that. that's understandable, um, yeah. 
But I think that whole idea of success looking different to each individual student, I think that's so important to remember. You know, the, the student who went to MIT, the student who went to Northwestern, that's fantastic. And they hopefully felt like they met their goal. Um, but the student who graduated on time, the student who was ready to, you know, to go to Kishwaukee College and was able to take uh, credit bearing classes their first semester, that was a huge success for many of our kids. So I, I think I go back to that whole idea of trying to meet a student where they are to, to begin with, but then realizing pushing them, but pushing each student differently, that's so important to remember. I, I do, I think back to, to many of the kids who I just loved working with. For many of the kids, once they leave here, in my head, nobody gets much older than say 25 years old. <laughs> because it's yeah. like, you know, that they're kind of stopped and I kept them right there. Um, but hearing stories about what they've done, what they've accomplished, the families they've gone on to have, the parents that they've become, the community leaders that they've become, um, that's very, very impressive. Um, for some kids who've gone on to achieve, you know, who, who've done some really, really cool things, that's neat. But I think when I have a, a student come in and their parent comes with them, who used to be one of my students, you're like, okay, now we're going to try this again. And we're, you know, we have a different dynamic and that's always fun. That's always a lot of fun because we're looking at making a relationship that's based on something completely different. I'm curious to ask how you became a guidance counselor in the first place. What was the kind of the impetus, the origin story behind how you came to do all this? I don't think I'm the norm. I, I am the norm on one hand. Um, but when people talk about the number of times they've changed jobs and, and not necessarily just the place, but the jobs themselves, I've only had one job my whole life, and that's being a counselor. Um, when I was in college, I realized I wanted to work with people because I, I love working with people. I knew that for the minute. But I wanted to work with people who were healthy. I didn't necessarily want to get into the medical system. Yeah. Um, that, that didn't sound fun to me. So I was looking for a job where I could work with people and help them make good decisions um, who were shooting to challenge themselves. My um, undergraduate psychology, and I'm like, you know what? I think I want to go into counseling. So literally, I just went right there, um, finished my master's immediately. So then my first job was working with K through eight, Oh my God, no, that was a quick, no, we're not going to do this the rest of our life. I thought I need real people. Little people are great, but I thought older is better. So then I came to Rochelle um, and I've never looked back. That's well, interesting that you said that like when you were in college, you, you had like a pretty clear idea of what you wanted to do in terms of like, I want to do something that helps people, people that are looking to challenge themselves. Like in some ways, that's like a very specific vision of something to do, but also, you know, it doesn't necessarily, you know, it, it could mean a few different careers, you mm -hmm. know, necessarily. So mm -hmm. it's, it's specific, but it's also broad enough to encompass a, a, a few different things. So it's fascinating that you had like that clear idea and then were able to find the thing that was able to fit that in the way that you mm -hmm. were looking to do that. No, and, and you're right. And a lot of times I'll talk to kids about when they're talking about they didn't know what they want to do. I'm like, you know more than you think you do. If you take out the things you know you don't want to do, and then you try and cultivate what are the things you're really looking for, 
forget about what the job is. Focus on what it is, what those kernels that you know you have to have in a job to make you happy. Um, and that's kind of what I did, because I did. I took out the things I didn't want to do. I tried to focus on the things that were important to me um, and went from there. Yeah, and then you were able to kind of uh, sort of reverse engineer that to help other people as their counselor. That's so fast. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I, I remember just like, you know, how much of an anxiety it is right at that point in your life when you're trying to figure out what you want to do for a career or for college. And I think about myself, right? I, I went to community college for two years. I went to Wabonzi. And, and part of the reason was that I didn't have a, a great idea of, of what exactly I wanted that career to look like. Like you said, I had a few ideas of things I didn't want to do for sure. Mm -hmm. I knew that and I knew that writing was something that I really enjoyed and had some level of acumen for. And I think back about it now, and I think about being in community college and taking classes that I thought at the time were completely disparate, that were completely disconnected. And I was mm -hmm. taking like, a, there was one semester that I took like a, I took a, a local and state government class, and then I took a Shakespearean acting class in the same semester. And I think mm -hmm. about it now, and I'm like, that's not random at all. I've somehow combined both of those two things to what my job I was say, is now. You needed both of those classes to get where right. you are now. Exactly. Right. And at the time, I, 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 there's no way I had that kind of foresight when I was doing it at the time. But now it, I can connect all the dots and that makes a lot more sense. And I'm sure people mm -hmm. are having those realizations and you, you're trying to, you know, point them in those directions all the time. Right. Well, in the old idea, we expect 17 and 18 year olds to know what they want to do with the rest of their life. How ridiculous <laughs> is that? I mean, right there, you're like, that's ridiculous. So, but that idea of people really know, if you can start to figure out what you enjoy, as well as what you're good at, because most of us enjoy something where we feel like we're accomplished, where we are successful, um, where we feel like we can add something. So you start to put those pieces together, but the pieces may not really come together until way down the road, and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I mentioned my mom as someone that's retiring from teaching now. She didn't come to teaching until her late 30s or 40s and had pivoted from a completely separate career is, you know, waitressing and in retail and all these different things. I think there's there's so many, you know, I know there's all sorts of statistics about the amount of times that students change their major over the course of a mm -hmm. four year college journey. But beyond that, the amount of career changes that adults have. It's something that's, oh. that's, that's so relevant to have those skills that you're talking about of knowing not just what you're good at, but what you don't want to do and, and what that can mm -hmm. actually look like. All of that's so hard, not just for 17-year-olds, but for everybody. Correct. Correct. And you're right. And putting and realizing an experience that you have that you're like, oh, I think that I can blow this off or I don't think this is that important. It may come back in some fashion to really play an important part in the rest of your journey. You just don't know. Yeah. Interesting. You know, this might be what you said about finding the things that you're good at or the things that you don't want, but would you have a, a piece of advice for people that aren't in high school, but again, are maybe in their 20s or 30s or 40s that are, are feeling, you know what, I'm in a job right now that is fine, that pays the bills, but I think I'd like to maybe think about something else, but I'm not exactly sure what that's going to look like. I think that whole idea of really taking stock of, of what's important to you, what you think you're good at, and then that idea of what you know you don't want to do. 
you don't want to have a job in whether it's working outside, working inside, but knowing there's some things that are important to you that you think you're going to bring, write those down, figure out what those are, and then really kind of cultivate that list and not necessarily the title or the name of the job. That's not that important. What are those underlying things and knowing your, uh, your personal life, you know, if you have a small kids, if you, whatever your home situation is, you've got to work within that. That's also, those are huge issues and huge details that need to be put in when you're making those kind of decisions. Um, but I think a lot of times we focus so much on what the job title is, we forget what is it that we're hoping to actually accomplish. That's what I focus on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm sure if you wanted to in retirement, you, you, could, you could find plenty of people to do adult guidance counseling for others. <laughs> And that's, that might be something I start. Who knows? There, there you go. That's, you take that one idea for free. <laughs> right, right. Well, I would say, like you said, one of the other things that I've been doing is I've been the speech coach here at the high yes. school. And every year when we have our season, the kids I've probably, the kids who are talented, it's so much fun to watch them grow and develop. The kids who aren't, who start and who aren't very talented and who grow into better communicators those are skills they're going to use the rest of their life, as well as anything else, whether it's a group sport, whether it's um, reading skills across the board, art skills like your mom has. That idea of within speech team, I'm going to be able to give you some skills. You're going to put these together and hopefully feel like a better communicator. And you're going to take those skills and hopefully be able to put those to work in whatever capacity you choose down the road. Um, those are things I've really, really enjoyed. And like I said, especially kids who start out, let's be honest, terrible, and they just grow and become better. And you're like, you have a solid set of skills now you're going to use the rest of your life. And I think that's true in so many different avenues. How long have you been a speech coach? Has a long time as well? 37 years. 37, so almost the full 38 there. Yeah. It's. Did yeah. you have the... I guess kind of the, the, the insight or the foresight at that time that like, oh, this is going to be great. I can help people, you know, learn how to communicate, develop this skill that's going to help them for the rest of your life. Or is that something that came along with years of learning and coaching? Like when I, uh, when I started, um, uh, they were basically putting everybody into an extracurricular. Oh. And my first year <laughs> I was a cheerleading coach. That's not necessarily my forte. And yeah. I was like, you know what, I'm going to Communication, though, it's, uh, it, it exactly. is some, some kind. Exactly. Yeah. Positive energy. Love it. Um, <laughs> but they, they needed an assistant speech coach. And I said, you know what, I think this is for me. And so I had a great mentor um, who was our head coach. And just getting into that, I really quickly felt like this was something I enjoyed, number one. Number two, I liked the kids I was working with. And... And getting to know kids through speech coaching is, you do it on an, the way we do it, it's on an individual basis. So getting to work with a student one-on-one -on -one throughout the entire season, I adored that. Um, but I come back to, I quickly learned these are skills that kids are going to use the rest of their life. And I felt like it really made an impact. And I felt that almost from day one. Um, it was something that I wanted to stay involved with. And also, um, 
the way speech team works in our part of the state, I was able to work with some incredible coaches from other schools and learn from them and get to count them as friends and colleagues. And that was real special as well. That's that's fun. We actually just this earlier on this spring had a uh, speech. Well, they they call it forensics. The 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 uh, the coach at uh, DeKalb High School was actually just on our show a couple months ago. Was it Greg or TJ? It was Greg. <laughs> so you might be the first guidance counselor on here, but you're definitely not the first Northern Illinois speech coach that's been on the show, even in the I'm last year. Greg is one of my dearest friends. So yes, yes. Um, <laughs> getting to work with those people and uh, that really, really was fun. Um, I enjoyed. I enjoyed that immensely. What were some of your favorite speech events or or different types of presentations? Oh, okay. You're talking my language here. Um, <laughs> I'm not. A, I enjoy acting, but no, I would not say acting. I'd say the public speaking um, are probably the ones that I enjoy the most. Oratory, deck, informative speaking, radio speaking. I'd even say extemp, which is public. Uh, impromptu speaking kind of thing, limited prep. Um, and my probably my personal favorite is special occasion speaking. Oh, can you explain a little bit about what, what that is for folks? Oh, I can. Special occasion speaking is a speech the student writes. They get to make um, their audience be whoever they want it to be. It's a uh, persuasive slash entertaining speech. So it would be like a like at a banquet or a um, an after dinner kind of speaking. But your whole idea is that you are making your audience somebody, whoever you choose them to be, and then you get to share with them information and hopefully persuade them to feel the way you feel within that speech. Um, to me, it's, it's real life. It's a graduation speech. It's speaking at um, a, a wedding. It is talking at a retirement party. It that is special occasion speaking. Love it's it. so funny that like that is uh, the two things that you dealt with every day and help students with, which is a planning for their future and b public speaking are like two of the things that people are the most terrified to to, to do. So that was <laughs> it's so it's so funny that I I can't relate obviously as someone that you know professionally enjoys the sound of his own voice a, a little bit. <laughs> But it is so fun. It, it, I, I do really love public speaking. And I, I wish that I would have, you know, done something like that when I was in school or been aware of it. But that's You've got to have had some really memorable persuasive speeches over the years. Oh, definitely. Uh, it's so much fun. But no, talking to kids and letting kids choose what their topics are going to be up to a certain extent, of course. Sure. Because um, it's like, oh, no, if we're going to do this. We're going to be competitive. Let's do this. and Let's do it right. Um, but that idea of kids trying to hone in on what they think is important and what they want to work on. I mean, speech season is long. It starts at the end of September and it goes to the end of February. So it, it's a, it's a time or it's a time intensive activity. Um, and for kids to do it and to do it well, you want them to buy into what those messages are. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, like over the years, as that is something that like career and what people are going to do is something that, you know, is a source of anxiety for people, especially, you know, when it's their junior or their senior year and they're staring down the, the barrel of graduation and having to make some kind of decision there. Did you feel like, obviously, you know, you have to, you're, you're always building up 
trust in a relationship with students when you're in that position. Did you tell them, like, did you, did you go through your experience a little bit, kind of the, the experience that you had of figuring out what you wanted to do? And like, do you think about how much of yourself you wanted to share with students who were going through these things? Yes. And depending on the relationship, right. depending on how much sometimes they cared or not, whether or mm -hmm. not it was going to be impactful. Um, for many kids, I would tell them the story of when I was in high school, I thought about whether or not I wanted to go into medicine. So I was a volunteer at the hospital. I thought this would be a great experience and I'm just going to shine and life is going to be good. And I was working in the uh, senior part of the hospital and I brought lunch to a gentleman. And as I put the tray down, I spilled it and the chicken and gravy and grape juice went all over his lap. Oh, so just the, the worst things to go on someone's lap, gravy oh, and was, grape juice. Was, oh, it was a true. Oh. And I'm like, oh, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And it was a great experience because I quickly learned not only through the chicken and potatoes and grape juice, being in a hospital was not a good, I did not feel very comfortable. That was not a, a that was not an environment that I thought was going to be good for me. I didn't really realize that though, till I went through that experience. So that summer of being a volunteer at the hospital, which I hated, was life-changing um, because I did. Before that, I was thinking, I might, you know, you want to help people, AKA, that means medicine, AKA. Well, I realized I'm going to cross those off because that's not for me. And I would tell that story to many kids of that idea of no matter if it's a good or bad experience, it's going to teach you something. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, our show specifically here is like based on this idea that pretty much everyone has had uh, a teacher or some kind of educator in their life. Again, whether it be a coach or a counselor or an English teacher, whoever, someone that inspired them or just help them become the person that they are today. And I'm curious, I, I imagine you've been that for kids over the last 38 years. When you think about your education experience, do you have any teachers or educators along the way that you look back on that really helped you become who you are? Oh, great question. Um, I would say not only, I'd flip that a little bit, I'll come back to your question, yeah. but that idea of, I hope I was that for some students but there were some students who gave me a lot, who mm -hmm. were instrumental in me becoming the counselor I became. Working with them allowed me to become better, I hope, at what I did. Um, but the students are were definitely just so, so important. Um, as far as teachers I had, I would say uh, I had a second grade teacher who was unbelievably good and who um I, just looking back i now realize how i didn't realize how good she was mm. until many many years later and looking back at the ownership that she let us have the independence that she fostered the belief in ourselves it had very little to do with content and yet she used content to make those things happen um in high school i had an english teacher that was very important and once again really let students just blossom and then in college i had a speech teacher who i i really um enjoyed learning from 
But all of them, all three of those people, what I look back and what I think they were so good at was kind of lighting the fire, setting the stage, and then stepping back and letting students walk through the door. Um, it wasn't that they succeeded. It was that they allowed the students, they set the stage for the students to succeed. And all of them did it in a completely different way, but I've never really put it that way, put those pieces together quite that way. But that's what I thought was so important. Right. And that's, it's such a difficult balance to be able to, to light the fire, but not hold their hand the entire way through to empower people to do it on their own. That's, that's a tough thing to, to balance. It certainly is. And as we all know, it's so much easier to just do it yourself, whether you're <laughs> yeah. doing chores at home with your own kids, whether it's, you know, it's like, we can get this done so much faster if I just do it myself. That's not the whole idea. The whole idea of treating, teaching someone that they have the skills to take care of things and that, and they can take care of themselves. Um, that's really what high school I have found more than anything. When kids come in as freshmen, you know, the parents are right there. Teachers are much more hands-on. But over the course of the next four years, teachers back off and we try to have parents back off a little bit. And parents will call and say, "We didn't, I didn't get this information. And you're like, you're right. You didn't. <laughs> Your child did. If it didn't get home, please call. We can help. But that was your child's responsibility to take care of. And that idea of, yeah, now that you're 18, as you well know, going to college, your parents get no information. Yeah. Um, and now it's all, everything is in your name. And getting ready for that and that transition from being taken care of to being able to take care of yourself is, it's so much fun to watch and it's so important. I, I, I saw that uh, you were also a part of the, the, the Renaissance program at Rochelle. Can you tell people a little bit about that? Because I, I, I saw that it had something to do with, there was car giveaways involved at some point in time. Tell us about this. Okay. This is not a short answer. But <laughs> That's fine. That, that, it's okay. Because it's a huge program and I absolutely love it. The Renaissance program was a, a national program that we went to a uh, workshop to learn about. And then we just kind of made it work here at Rochelle. Um, our Renaissance program is our acknowledgement, celebration, uh, congratulation program for having kids that we can congratulate them basically for doing the right thing. There's a variety of different components. The first component would be you can get a Renaissance card for each semester based on your grades, your behavior, and your attendance. Mm -hmm. So those are the three areas that we looked at and there's different levels within the program. And if it sounds detailed, it is. Um, <laughs> but then if you have a Renaissance card, for example, in Rochelle, the majority of the fast food places, you're going to get free food or you're going to get a discount off your bill or you're you're going to get something, um, a variety of the places in town. Once again, if you have a Renaissance card, it's worth something when you go in. Um, here at school, if you have a Renaissance card, once a quarter, we have a study hall release and that we have a room set up where we have board games, we have music, we have uh, video games, that type of stuff. And then there's free pop, popcorn, um, pop, popcorn, and candy. And while the kids are in there, they can eat as much as they want. It's because they've earned it based on their grades, attendance, and behavior. Then once a quarter, we also have early lunch release where the kids get out of class five minutes early. 
Mm -hmm. um, so we have those things set up. Another component we have once each semester, there's a Renaissance breakfast where each teacher can nominate a student for whatever reason, excellence, improvement, you make me laugh every day, you're <laughs> less of a jerk now than you were last year. So whatever they, and then they receive it. First of all, there's a breakfast that the teachers make and serve. It's a pancake breakfast, very, very nice. Love and it. then each student receives a certificate. And on the certificate, it'll say exactly why that student was nominated. So that's very nice. Then our end of the year assembly, which is our congratulations and our celebration for the year. Um, we do that every year, had for the last 25 years. And we have skits from the teachers. We have talent uh, shows from the kids. We it's just a variety of things. But then throughout the assembly, we're giving away prizes. And the prizes are going to students who have been Renaissance people, uh, attendance, grades, etc. A variety of different kinds of uh, prizes are given away. Fast food, uh, movie theater tickets, a class ring, um, a, a yearbook. And at one point when Sawiki Motors was here in town, they had a used car. Perry Motors took it over. And instead of doing the used car, because used cars were hard to find, they continued the program and they donated $2,500 to one student whose name gets drawn and they um, they receive a check for $2,500 through Perry Motors. Um, oh. So it is, it's a variety of different things, but it's definitely our way of saying, congratulations, you're doing what we're asking you to do and you're probably doing it better. And we want to acknowledge that and we want to promote that. Um, the other part of the program that we have is we also have like staff drawings because we want the teachers to be a part of this and yeah. to feel like, yeah, that, that whole culture and climate piece kind of all goes together. Um, the reason that that program exists, it's not paid for through the school, it's paid for through donations from businesses in town. So it's it's a wonderful program, love That's it. That's fantastic. One of the other things I saw is that you have been the, the voice of the Rochelle Hubs marching band. Is that something? I, and is, is that something that you're continuing to do post retirement, or are you also retiring from that? You know, they haven't asked me yet, um, but I <laughs> think I'm probably going to keep that because I really do enjoy that um, at all of our home football games. Um, yes, when the when the band takes the field, I get to be the the voice of the the marching hubs, and so when they <laughs> take the field, I get to do the blurb and and introduce them, and then still let everybody know how they're doing throughout the season. Yes. Love our marching band. <laughs> All right. Well, the last two questions we have are, are kind of similar. We'll always end on these last two. And so the first one I'll say just what's something about guidance counselors you just think is more important than people realize? I'm sure you could go in a couple different directions, but what's something about being a guidance counselor you just wish more people knew? Um, once again, I would say counseling is different in every school. So it's hard, all I can talk about is what I know. So here at Rochelle, um, counselors are the people who are very aware of the details and of the individual pieces that are, that are uh, being moved, but they're also aware of the big picture. Um, we're in that quasi state, we're not administration, but we're not in the classroom. So we really get to go back and forth um, and we really get to see how everything goes together. But I'd say much more importantly, I, I think that's important, 
But I think also important is your counselor is your advocate. Your counselor is the liaison between the student and parents, student and teacher. Um, we're, we're the communication piece. Um, and sometimes we can sit back and say, okay, let's try and how can we address the situation? Um, I think a, I think a strong counseling department is established through trust, through relationships. Um, but that that advocacy piece, I think, is very important. And you know, having setting up those meetings, but letting students know they're a resource, but they're only a resource if you use them. <laughs> so we, we have um, we have freshman meetings, which we're doing right now, which are meetings for next year's freshmen, where we set the stage basically and let them know what to expect and you know what's what goes on here at RTHS. But one of my pieces is always your counselor is a great resource, but you have to be the one to go through the door. They'll call you down every once in a while, but if you need something, please, please, please go right on in, use them and have them be a resource for you. Absolutely. And then the last question is just, what's something about education you wish more people knew? I, oh boy. I think education, I, I think the pandemic taught us so much. Yeah. Um, obviously, we all wish we hadn't had to go through it. And yet we did go through it. So I'm a very positive person. So let's <laughs> spin it over and figure out why it was meaningful. Yes. Um, for us, one of the things it taught us, the kids who were being taught remotely, that was not very effective. It was effective for a small percentage. Education is so much more vital when it's person to person. And when you can learn within a classroom, when you can learn not only from the teacher, but from the student sitting next to you. And education isn't just about content, which is very important. And learning that information helps all of us. Knowledge is power. But that idea of socialization and that idea of learning social cues and learning how to get along with people, um, I would say our country could use that and could use it in spades. So that idea, that's what, that's a large part of what education is. Education, there's so many facets to it and to try and pigeonhole it into one or two things is a disservice, no question about it. I don't even know how you did your job as a counselor during the pandemic, especially when people were learning remotely. That had to be obviously such a significant challenge and something you hadn't dealt with in that way. Oh, never, and yeah. I would never go back to it. Um, yeah trying to do a counseling session through zoom oh my god <laughs> yeah. no no exactly you know um so that idea the idea that it's so important for us to learn from one another and the way we're going to learn the strongest is actually and then it goes back to communication your communication skills your listening your awareness your observation putting all that together it's all about education all right, Lori, well, that was all I had. Thank you, again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your Tuesday afternoon to, to chat about and, and reflect on all this stuff. I, I really appreciate it, and I was, I was thrilled that we, we finally, 100 episodes and four years in, finally got a guidance counselor on the show. Well, I appreciate it. I really didn't know how this was going to go, but you did a lovely job. Oh, very, thank you. You did a lovely nice job. job. <laughs> <laughs> very nice job steering the, steering the ship. 
Thank you so much for listening to Teacher's Lounge. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show. It's how we get all of our great guests. Again, you can do that at teacherslounge at niu.edu. Wherever you're here in the podcast, please do subscribe or leave us a rating, share it with your friends. It's the best way to get even more perspectives on our show. You can subscribe to the Teacher's Lounge newsletter if you'd like to keep up to date with everything having to do with the show. Find a link to do that at this episode's webpage over at wnij.org. A big thank you, as always, to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ofs for the awesome music you hear each and every episode. I've been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with a brand new Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya.